You are listening to As a Woman, episode 37, Cervical Cancer. In this episode, I'm talking all about cervical cancer, what it is, how it can be prevented, how it can be detected and stopped early. Learn more about your health so you can make the best decisions for you. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back to As a Woman. You are currently listening to episode 37, Cervical Cancer. Now in this episode, I'm talking all about cervical cancer. This is fascinating stuff. This is a really terrible disease that used to be so prevalent and we have decreased it so much in this country with excellent screening and public health tool measures. Now I want to kind of take it back so that we all know what we're talking about. Why do we do pap smears? What does it mean? What is cervical cancer? And that's what we're diving in today. I'm going to lead right in here. Hey, for you guys who don't know, I'm an REI. I'm a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility physician. I'm a specialist when it comes to your organs that produce hormones, such as your ovaries, and I help you get pregnant. I trained in endocrinology, and before I was able to do my three-year fellowship, I did in fact do four years of OBGYN, board certified in general OBGYN as well. Now, I don't practice general OBGYN. I let my friends and fellow colleagues who are generalists take care of that, but these topics are near and dear to my heart. Cancer sometimes can be preventable, detected early, and there's no need for us to lose our reproductive organs and our ability to have children unless we have to. Full on admitting, this episode is for education and awareness. I just want to go over some basics. I am not truly the cancer expert. I'm not an oncologist. Full disclosure, I was really mad at Cosmo when they released an article talking about cervical cancer, essentially. So they didn't say the word cervical cancer in the article, but the premise of the article was that having a leap may cause you to no longer orgasm. And a very well-known medical Instagrammer, we'll say medical blogger, who is not a trained medical physician, posted this on her Instagram in a scare tactic-like fashion. And I kind of approached it with some of the troops, and I really didn't like it. I felt like this was manipulating an already scare tactic-based article, highly clickbaitable in order to drive traffic to her page. And the scare here is that women are so desperate for education about their bodies and they may read this and make different decisions that are not rooted in science. So the article was published in Cosmo and this was the title and I got real upset, you guys. It said, this routine gyno procedure could mean you never orgasm again. Thousands of women undergo leaps every year without being informed of a potentially devastating result, the loss of their ability to enjoy sex. Cosmo investigates why doctors aren't taking this side effect more seriously. Now, first of all, I am not arguing that doctors need to give informed consent. Almost nothing that we do is without risk. Things always have risk associated with them. And it is very important 
for you as a physician to disclose the risk to your patient so they can make an educated decision. Of course, that is not at all what got me upset about this article. But the article gives the impression that women have alternative options other than leaps that could leave them in a different situation and gives the idea that perhaps you should not choose to do a leap. And at least that's how it was portrayed on this Instagram page. And the comments really made me realize that women are not very well educated about what cervical cancer is. Part of that is modern medicine's fault in such a good way. We are not growing up in an era where we are seeing women die of cervical cancer because the pap smear was invented. We're screening for disease. And if we screen for disease and it is detected in early interventions, like a LEAP procedure or a cone or a hysterectomy are undertaken, then we're not developing advanced metastatic disease. In addition, there is a vaccine, the HPV vaccine, that can fight the majority of cancers. But so let's step back for a moment. Cervical cancer is a really terrible cancer. I can say this because I trained at Parkland Hospital, which is a county hospital in Dallas, Texas. It has the largest OBGYN residency program. So we had 20 residents a year and we see things and pathology that you don't really encounter in your day-to-day life as a practicing physician. That's an excellent, excellent training environment. Those of you who are physicians or residents know that the more you see and the more you're exposed to, it will change your perspective and you will approach people differently for taking care of that one patient. So I decided in residency after taking care of patients on the GYN oncology service, seeing patients die from a variety of causes on L&D, in the ICU, in my year in the ER, that cervical cancer was by far the worst way to die. Cervical cancer eats away at your cervix and your surrounding tissues. If you are a woman, you know that your cervix is at the top of your vagina, the bottom of your uterus. So the surrounding tissues include your vagina, your uterus, your bladder, and your rectum. All right, so this sounds pretty much terrible. You can have a necrotic mass completely taking control of your lower part of your body where you need to urinate, use the bowel movement, have intercourse. You can get obstructions and you end up dying from bowel obstructions, from kidney failure, or from metastatic disease. And the treatments really suck, guys. I mean, for oncologists, the treatments are good. Oncologists are fighting this battle hard. But to be a patient, pelvic radiation is a treatment. That's no fun. Or massive surgery where you scoop everything out. That's no fun. Or chemotherapy. Pelvic radiation has its own set of side effects. So I for long said cervical cancer has to be the very worst way to die. I have a lot of respect for the disease. I find cancer very fascinating. So if we start at the beginning, what is cancer? Cancer is a disease in which the cells of the body grow out of control. So our cells are always constantly dividing and changing. And cancer in its purest form is when this process goes crazy. Cells stop dividing in a normal fashion and they start growing out of control. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, 
I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No one shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. We name cancer based on the cell type of origin. So if you're hearing this and you're not as deep in the medical field as I am, cervical cancer means that cancer starts when a cervical cell starts growing out of control. And then there's different types because there's different types of tissue in the cervix. And cervical cancer, like all cancers, can spread. So metastatic disease is when cervical cancer cells spread to other parts of the body. And so that means you've got this cell line from the cervical cells growing abnormally in other body tissue types. And cancer is staged based on how severe it is and how far it has spread. Stage one, local disease confined to the cervix. Stage four, widely metastatic disease found in other organs. Stage two and three is based on how far it has spread to surrounding tissues and to lymph nodes. In general, as with all cancers, the higher the stage, the worse it is and the harder to treat. Now, cervical cancer specifically, worst kind of cancer to die from, I've already told you that's my opinion, the number one cause of cervical cancer is HPV infection, human papillomavirus. HPV is actually highly prevalent in today's society. Guys, cervical cancer is so fascinating. We have actually done such a great job in the public health sphere of preventing or eliminating this disease by appropriate screening and prevention techniques that there's a huge portion of you listening to this who probably don't know nearly enough about cervical cancer. In fact, the incidence of diagnosing cervical cancer has decreased 50% just of diagnosing or having the actual disease in the past 30 years. And this is because of the pap smear. 
So this is huge. The fact that we can decrease cancer, therefore we are decreasing deaths. And in countries without screening programs, both the diagnosis and the mortality of cervical cancer is significantly higher than we see here in the U.S. Here in the U.S., pap smears detect the majority of cervical cancer. Now, HPV, human papillomavirus, is highly associated with cervical cancer. In fact, the high-risk HPV strains, it's a virus, you guys, a virus, just like the cold, except it's largely transmitted by sexual contact. There are high-risk and low-risk strains, so just think that some colds get you a lot sicker than other colds. The high-risk strains of HPV are 16 and 18, and those two together, they are the cause of approximately 75% of cases of cervical cancer. That's huge. Do you hear that? 75% come from a virus, and it is most common in teenagers and women in their early 20s. In a three-year period of time, over 60% of young women will be exposed or have an HPV infection, and the prevalence decreases as women's age, but the lifetime risk of having HPV is 80%. Think about that. 80% of women are getting infected with a virus that could cause cervical cancer. Other big risk factors for cervical cancer include an increase in the number of lifetime sexual partners. That makes a lot of sense. More people you have sex with, the higher the chance that you're going to get high-risk HPV and a decrease in the functioning of your immune system. Like having HIV, having a prior organ transplant where you're on immunosuppressive medications, that's a risk factor. Smoking. Smoking brings toxins into our body and increases the chance that cell division will go crazy. That makes sense. And then there's an interesting one we should talk about is there have been some studies that show that being on birth control pills increases the chance of having cervical cancer. Most of us strongly believe this is due to an increase in the number of sexual partners and some women on birth control versus women who are not, especially women who are younger. So I'm listing that out there because I don't want you to think that I'm withholding information just because I use birth control pills all the time. I myself have been on them for many, many years, but that association is called confounding. So one piece of data is highly associated with another and it confounds the result. So the true risk factors, lifetime sexual partners, immunocompromised state, infection with HPV, smoking. And now we're going to take a short pause to thank our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Care Of. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy for you to get the vitamins and supplements that you need. It's fall and it's time to get into a healthy routine. Care Of is easy. You can take an online quiz. It's five minutes. I've taken it myself. It also gets delivered right to your door in daily packages and they have options to make it perfect for you, such as vegan options if you're like me. For 25% off your first Care Of order, go to takecareof.com and enter as a woman. So what's also important is that there's a large stage of precancerous cells. So before you have cancer, you have stages of abnormal cells. That's wonderful. That means we can screen for the disease before it gets too advanced and we know who to intervene on. That's brilliant. That's part of how we've reduced mortality from cervical cancer. So let's start with screening. A pap smear is how we do screening. This is screening. Please keep in mind the difference in screening and diagnosis. Screening is just trying to identify women 
who need more invasive procedures to diagnose something. So what we do is we put a speculum in the vagina, take a swab and a little brush and brush it along the cervix, put it in some liquid and send it off to a lab where they can make a slide from it and look at the cells. And these cells can be normal epithelial cells. They can be something called ASCUS, atypical cells of undetermined significance. They can be L-cell, a low-grade lesion, H-cell, a high-grade lesion, or actually read out as cancerous appearing cells. So think of this as a spectrum, normal ASCUS, L-cell, H-cell cancer. Now when we're screening, we're trying to identify who needs more. So you have an abnormal pap, you're going to get rooted into a screening algorithm. Friends, there are task force and brilliant, brilliant people who come up with these screening algorithms. And guess what? Just like everything in medicine, as we get more data, things will change. But when you screen with a pap smear, if it comes back normal, you are on a track. Yep, repeat it in a year. No, you've had normals and you're above a certain age and you're with a monogamous partner, so you can repeat it in three years. You're going to go on a track based on age, your relationship status. The second is if it's abnormal, there's going to be some further testing. If it is L-cell or H-cell or possibly cancer, you're getting rooted into what's called a colposcopy. A colposcopy is where you look under a microscope, so speculum and vagina, and you paint different solutions on the cervix that are taken up differently. So there's an iodine-based solution, an acetic acid-based solution, and cells at different stages of cell division or that are abnormally dividing will change color, and you're looking with a microscope, and you can decide where to biopsy. So then you're getting a tissue sample of these suspicious areas. So colposcopy is helping us identify and get a tissue diagnosis that will then lead us down a different pathway. Now, if your pap smear falls in the middle and it's called ASCUS, what happens next is going to depend on if it's ASCUS HPV positive or HPV negative. So if you're HPV positive for a high-risk strain, and your pap has atypical cells, you also need a colpo. That's that. If your pap has ASCUS, but your HPV negative, then for the most part, you're going to repeat the pap. Now, this really matters on other things. There's exceptions, exclusions, how long it's been, how old you are, other risk factors. So this is not the end-all be-all, but giving you a general idea that you get a pap smear, your pap smear says, you're good till your next screen. Hey, let's check an HPV test. Or hey, let's go do a colposcopy. Colposcopy with a cervical biopsy is giving you a tissue diagnosis. The tissue diagnosis is either going to come back as a normal cell or something called CIN, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, one, two, three, or cancer. So you're getting this stage where there's another spectrum. If you imagine a cell, and I used to draw this out for patients in residency, a nice normal cell, then it gets a little bit wonky, more wonky, crazier, and then you have a full-on tumor. So just like there's a spectrum of disease for your screening pap, there's a spectrum of disease for your tissue diagnosis. Based on what your tissue diagnosis is, you're going to get rooted into a category. Okay, it's just a mildly abnormal cell. We're going to wait because you're young and see if it clears. Oh, it is a two or a three. And that means that there could be, this is so important, there could be cancer right next door. Okay, so imagine you have a pie. And doing a biopsy with a colpo is like taking one spoonful out of the pie. It's telling you what's in that area, but it's not fully representing what's the rest of the pie. Now, if that's perfectly normal, great. You feel a little more reassured that it's highly unlikely that there's cancer in the bite right next door. 
However, if those cells are abnormal, it very well could be right next door. Maybe the piece we took the biopsy from, even though it was an educated guess, is not actually the very best piece. So you're going to want to look at a better piece, a bigger piece of the pie. And that is what an excisional procedure is. So if you have a highly abnormal culpo biopsy, so that's usually stage two or three, like CIN two or three or more, then you're going to go for an excisional procedure. And the types of excisional procedures, here you go, friends, leap, cone, hysterectomy, that's it. If we are trying to get a true diagnosis and we are excising a piece of the tissue, leap, cone, hysterectomy. So we need to give the pathologists, who are amazing, brilliant people, more tissue to make a diagnosis if you have cancer or not. And if you have early stage tissue, we're sometimes using these excisional procedures to hope that we can get all of the cancer with clear margins and you don't have to go even further. So a LEAP, L-E-E-P, loop electrosurgical excision procedure. So what it is, is you put a speculum in, you get a wire, that's the loop, cautery goes through it, so a current goes through it and makes it hop and you can shave off a shallow portion of the cervix and hope that you get all of the abnormal cells in that segment. The other excisional procedure is called a cone or often a CKC, a cold knife cone. And that's where you use a knife, like a regular scalpel. And you go in and by hand, you can excise part of the cervix. And it's usually in a little cone shape. So it's deeper in the center and shallower on the edge. There are different indications for both, and I'm not here to go over both of them, meaning that a leap takes off less and often has less bleeding. A cone, you have more control over exactly where you're going because you can go over this area and under this one. So if the margins looked kind of funny, sometimes a cone is best. But in general, a leap tends to take off less cervix than a cone. So in a young woman who may want to have a baby and we need her cervix to do what cervixes are supposed to do, keep a baby in the uterus and then let a baby out when it is time, we don't want to take off too much of that cervical tissue. However, we also know we don't want to let abnormal cells sit there and develop into cancer. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. Now in women who are done having their children, they may opt just to go to a hysterectomy. That is a more definitive. We don't have to worry about margins or things like that. However, these are the options. We need to get tissue and get it into the pathologist's hands so they can make a determination of what we're really dealing with. And if there happens to be cervical cancer right there, then you got to get into an entirely different pathway. 
It's going to have to be staged. You're going to need to consult with oncologists. Are you going to get chemo, radiation, surgery? What does it all mean? I'm not here to go into all those details, but I'm here to say, look at how far we have come in taking a disease that's nasty and terrible, and we've put it into the hands of women where if you go to your annual exams and you get your pap smears and you follow the algorithms, the chance that you will get an invasive cervical cancer and die from it is low. That is just really phenomenal, you guys. There are so many cancers that we cannot detect, prevent, or treat early, and having one that we can is really life-changing. I really feel like cervical cancer is becoming a disease of two different classes of women. It is poor women in a low socioeconomic class who don't have resources or access to appropriate screening programs, either here in the U.S. or in other countries, or privileged women who think they are the exception, that they don't have to follow in this pathway that alternative treatments instead of proven screening or excisional procedures will prevent their cells from going abnormally or who are refusing treatments that could be preventative or curative. And I haven't even mentioned that there's a vaccine that can prevent the number one cause of cervical cancer, HPV. In a bubble, if I told you there was a vaccine that could prevent cancer, would you take it? You probably would. Would you give it to your daughters? You most certainly would want to. HPV vaccine has now become the new hip thing to try to decline as if it's a huge public health disservice that people are trying to trick you or give you weird chemicals or do strange things to your body. Yes, nothing's without risk. Some people do have bad vaccine reactions. Those exist, although they are rare, but they exist for everything, the flu vaccine, etc. However, when a vaccine can prevent something highly prevalent, that has lasting implications, I am completely at a loss for why you wouldn't do it. But I'm a huge vaccinator across the board. My kids have all their vaccines. My husband and I get vaccinated every year. And I am not at all putting this podcast out there to start a vaccine debate with you. So don't you come at me. What this podcast is for is to educate you about what cancer is, and how you can detect, screen, prevent it. So there is no denying that the HPV vaccine can prevent high-risk strains of HPV, thus preventing cervical cancer. Done. We can't argue with that. That's science. You can debate with me if you personally want the vaccine or if you think it's good or bad or X, Y, Z, and that's fine. But hear me one more time. This HPV vaccine prevents cervical cancer. And cervical cancer associated with HPV is the number one cause of cervical cancer. And it is a disease of those who don't have resources or those who are choosing to be so privileged that they are above them. So just hear this. This is for education so you can understand what everybody is talking about out there. Leaps and cones prevent cells from getting to a highly aggressive and advanced level. They're good. They're preserving fertility for so many women. HPV vaccine is preventing high-risk HPV infections, therefore decreasing the cause of cervical cancer. Pap smear screenings save lives. There are algorithms for a reason about what you should do if your pap comes back abnormal. And I'm going to end cervical cancer on this. Guys, most time if you're young and you have an abnormal pap smear, it will probably clear itself. There's good evidence to show us that not intervening aggressively in young women is appropriate for most cases. Therefore, 
Talk to your doctor openly about your concerns. You won't always be offered aggressive treatment first. That's not how these protocols are derived. Everybody wants you to live a long, healthy, prosperous life and have the family that you want. I promise every OBGYN wants the same for you. Nobody is trying to do invasive procedures for fun. Now, most of the time, cervical cancer is diagnosed through routine screening when cells are just abnormal but not yet cancerous. The interventions we're talking about, like LEAP and CONE, often can remove the abnormal cells, the cervix can heal itself, and then it's done, it's resolved. You'll follow up with pap smears and go into routine screening, and hopefully that's the end of your precancer journey. Cervical cancer does have certain symptoms once it actually gets to a cancerous stage. Most of the early symptoms actually include abnormal bleeding, like vaginal bleeding, bleeding between your period, bleeding after sex, that's like a test question for all my med students out there, or postmenopausal bleeding, so new onset of bleeding after a woman's already gone through menopause. Another characteristic is foul-smelling vaginal discharge that's watery or pink. Those are your early stages. Think about these cancerous cells. They're changing the composition of the outside of the cervix. It's producing discharge or bleeding because it's very friable. That means the tissue is not very sturdy. Therefore, with intercourse, when there's friction against the cervix, there's an increased predominance to have bleeding. If you have symptoms like this, overall, these are not normal. These are reasons to go to your gynecologist and talk about, oh, hey, I have foul-smelling vag discharge. Please help. Specifically, if you have any of these symptoms and you do not have up-to-date pap smear screening, or really specifically, if you've had abnormal pap smears in the past and are not up-to-date with a normal pap or with your colpo or any of that, please, 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 I promise gynecologists are amazing, awesome people. They are not scary. I also promise nobody loves having a speculum in your vagina. We get it. It's no fun. Just do it. Do it anyway. Advanced cancer. So once it's left the local region of the cervix and spread to other areas, there's a whole slew of other symptoms that happen. So you start to get, you know, leakage of urine or stool. You can have back pain. You can get leg swelling because if it grows to one side, it could compress the veins or the lymph nodes, weight loss, fatigue, bone fractures. All of those things are signs that you could have an advanced stage disease. Please go get evaluated. But again, most of the time we can prevent it from getting to a cancer stage by HPV vaccination or from appropriate screening with pap smears, follow-up, and treatment if indicated. I know you don't want to have a leap. I get it. I understand that every procedure has risks and not being able to orgasm, having pain with sex, those things sound really terrible. However, cervical cancer is really terrible too. And I promise you, if this gets to a stage where you have cervical cancer, you are not going to have any pleasure with intercourse, foul-smelling, necrotic vagina, sounds pretty terrible too, and obstructive disease from cervical cancer is a terrible, terrible way to die. I really strongly believe that cervical cancer should be a disease of the past, that modern medicine and public health has advanced to a stage where in modern America, we should be able to prevent women from dying of this disease. I also think that it's really important that all of us who are the gatekeepers of healthcare keep this in mind. Personally, all my patients who go through IVF have to have an up-to-date pap smear or a fertility treatment at all. Meaning if you haven't got your pap in five years and you want me to help you get a baby in there, you've got to go get a pap smear. 
If your pap smear is abnormal, you have to follow up. If it's abnormal and your doctor is recommending excisional treatment, that has to be done before we're going to go act. So that's how seriously I take this. And I'm going to end here with a story of a patient that I encountered while I was a resident that has touched my heart and always stayed with me. Those of us in medical training know the people we take care of, there are cases that are burned in your brain. We love it when it's the good cases and they warm your heart. When it's the bad ones, you really, really never forget. This was a young woman in her 20s. Did you hear me right? In her 20s. And she was of a lower socioeconomic class and she didn't have good access to health care. And she recently had given birth by a C-section and she came into my emergency room and had a mass growing out of her C-section wound. So her chief complaint in the ER was mass in my scar. And we go and look and there's a little warty necrotic-like growth and it was biopsied. And sure enough, it came back as cervical cancer. And when a speculum was placed in her vagina, she had a large necrotic cervical mass. This woman, with poor access to care, was unable to get prenatal care and went to a hospital and delivered at a regular hospital. And I don't know if they didn't ask, didn't know if she hadn't had any pap smears ever and was diagnosed with an obstructive labor. And the reason why she had failure to progress or her cervix could not dilate is because she had a huge cervical mass obstructing her entire pelvis had a C-section, somebody cut through her uterus, scooped out a baby, sewed it back up, and had no idea they were cutting through cervical cancer, gave it a pathway to spread up to the abdomen, which luckily let us diagnose it. However, her disease was already widely spread by the time she got diagnosed. And it's very, very tough to watch a young woman fight like crazy who's got three young kids, one of them a baby, go through all the treatments that she went through, ultimately to go home on hospice, knowing that she's going to die from a cancer that should be preventable. We need to work together to educate the public that this is a terrible yet preventable disease. We need to encourage by example, using the HPV vaccination in ourselves, our children, and helping support the widespread use of it to prevent, first off, prevent disease. Second, We need to abide and support screening recommendations, including when the protocols include something we don't like, like excisional procedures. We need not buy into popular culture when it is using scare tactics to try to tell women to avoid certain procedures that could be life-saving. And we need to help expand access to care. Pap smears, screening, save lives. There's really no reason why any woman should die of a disease that could be prevented or detected at an earlier, easily treatable stage. You've heard my soapbox on this, and if you've listened to this point, I just want to say a huge thank you. I really think that educating the public starts by understanding where disease comes from, how we prevent it, how we diagnose it, and how we can support others who are going through this process. I also want to note that not all cervical cancer is caused by HPV or by sexual infection, so don't let that stigma impact others that a friend of yours has an abnormal pap or has cervical cancer, that, oh, she must have a ton of lifetime partners. I talked to you here about some of the most prevalent causes of cervical cancer, and certainly HPV is the number one cause. It is not, in fact, the only cause. So just don't make assumptions about other people. As women, we owe it to each other as a group and as a community to put support and understanding much above judgment. I'm going to leave you with that. 
As always, thank you for your support of the As A Woman podcast. I look forward to hearing what you think about this. Feel free to follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or on the blog, nataliecrawfordmd.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.